right now, just in general, criticism and we'll just say failure is not uh, rewarded. You're not uh, supposed to fail. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, think about it in terms of the way that you, people grow up. In school, if you have a failing grade, you're failing. Right. And you have to correct like that failure. On, yeah. Um, it's not seen as, like, you need improvement. It's seen as you failed. Um, like, you're below standard. You are absolutely below standard. Yeah. Like, standard is what? They, C. C, I guess. C. I mean, technically. But even that, I would argue people don't think C is standard. People I mean, think, yeah. like, A is standard, and <laughs> if you're below A, you're failing. Yeah. Um, and so part of it is being able to deprogram yourself from that societal teaching that is failure. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, and in Feeding Curiosity, we explore the precarity of human experience, and we challenge each and every one of you to think, question, and synthesize new ideas every day and all day. And in this episode, I'm really excited to bring it to you. It is none other than my brother, Nick Wenzel. Nick Wenzel is a graphics communicator and someone who works really, really hard behind the scenes to make this podcast look the way it does as a graphic designer by trade. But in this podcast in general, we get really deep into what graphic communication is, or at least what it means to my brother. And then we also get into a whole bunch of different territory within learning and how to communicate effectively outside of it and just propping each each one of us up and encouraging one another. And it's really a fun conversation for me, and it did not disappoint the reason I've been wanting to do this for so long with my brother. So without further ado, for no reason to keep going, (laughs) I hope you all enjoy this conversation with my brother, Nick Wenzel. Hey, Nick. Hey. Finally got you on the podcast. What up? (laughs) God, the the guy who's done probably the second most, if not the most work on this podcast. That's not true at all. Behind the scenes, at least. That might be true. (laughs) I mean, your voice hasn't been recorded until right now. Well, you actually had one other one way back in the day when we had the the H4N Pro. There were times I popped in. Yeah. I didn't say a lot. Yeah. So, but I really want to get you on here, at least for this episode. So for those of you joining in, Nick is my brother, and he is a graphic designer and videographer and has helped basically redesign the entire website at the beginning of the year and just worked on kind of giving a stylized, I hate using the word, but brand for everything we've been doing. The reason I say this is because Nick is actually going to be finishing school at the same time as I am, and so we wanted to do this as a special two-part episode and encapsulate what Nick knows as a videographer and designer is that the correct terminology? Um, I'm just going to say graphic communication because that sort of encapsulates uh, design, photo, video. Yeah, because it's like um, you could put so many separate titles on each category, so it's a little confusing. Yeah, I mean, I don't just do any one thing. I think part of being a responsible designer is being able to do send the message in the way that best serves it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah I like that. And... Um, so I kind of wanted to give you pay your dues and say explain how you've been able to accomplish what you've been able to accomplish because a lot of people who go into graphic design in general or anything creative medium as it is related to art wind up crashing and burning to some degree because they don't know how to market themselves. Hmm. And I think you have a really good grasp of how to communicate what 
it is for graphics communications in general. It's like how to bridge the gap between art and application. Mm. Okay. Um, so if you want to just like start as far back as you think you want to with this, I'm not going to go historical. I'm going to go just sort of let's, let's lay some terms. Okay. Um, graphic design is not art. Ooh. Let's just get that out of the way. Uh, and that this is a fight that schools, academics, whomever, whatever is not art. Um, what the distinction is, isn't necessarily a clear thing. I don't know that you can make a, a totally clear distinction between art and design, but um, they're sort of, they, they operate in tandem. Now, the reason I would say, just, you know, off the cuff, and we're going to make a gross generalization. Yeah. Um, the reason that so many design students don't become successful in the... Uh, monetary arena <laughs> is because they're artists, not designers. And so um, mm. part of design, I would argue that most of design is graphic communication. You're, you're helping a brand, a company, a person, an idea be communicated interestingly and effectively to people who should hear it. Um, in a sense, it's an extension of sales, but it's like, how do we make this message clear interesting or you know somewhere where does it need to be where does the message have to be communicated should it be that it only uh appeals to that small target audience of the people who get it or is it something like a let's say like a starbucks where everybody should like it and so it's you know kind of safe and whatever yeah you play within right um unknown boundary set yes and the thing is at least in in my experience um though I know there's other people who, who haven't had this experience, but uh, in like high schools, art is, it stays art and graphic yeah. design doesn't, there is no, like you don't take design classes, you take art classes. Right. Um, and so a lot of students will maybe pursue this in a collegiate way, uh, thinking it's art. And then they're like, I don't care about typography. I don't <laughs> care about business. Like, yeah. And so that's where the distinction is, is like, that's Gra- interesting. Graphic design and graphic communication is about helping a business. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to well, be, it's, but it's, it's meant to convey a message, not in this, not for arts, for art's sake. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, art doesn't have to have a meaning. Yeah. Uh, and it can j- literally just be expression. Yeah. And whatever, however you want to take that graphic design. And see, this is where you'll piss people off, but <laughs> like, graphic design is meant to send a message and communicate. And that's the difference. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like as I'm, as you're sitting here describing it, it, it reminds me a lot about, um, you, like the old saying, it's even cliche, but a picture's worth a thousand words, mm-hmm. but it's the same thing is true for design. Right. Because you're trying to boil down what does, you know, X company represent mm-hmm. and in, without taking a paragraph to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's funny because like a lot of businesses still don't get that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, and I say this as a designer, but I think that design doesn't get the credit it's due. And the companies who give it the credit it's due are extremely successful. Yeah. Like Starbucks doesn't give you sheets of paper. They just make you feel good. Right. You know, they don't need a ton of words. It just like you see what their stuff is and you're like, oh, that's Starbucks. Right. And it like accompanies all those feelings of like trendiness and friendliness and, you know, sort of moral value, which is weird <laughs> when it's a coffee company, but right. like that's what it does. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that's what effective graphic design is supposed to do yeah. is, like no one wants to read. If you wanted mm-hmm. to read, you'd read a book. Right. <laughs> but most people don't read books. They need something more interesting that catches their attention. And yeah, especially I mean, nowadays, like the metrics 
every couple of years, uh, retention gets lower and lower. So Jesus, uh, it used to be something like uh, ads, you'd have the first four seconds to capture attention and mm-hmm. then they were out. Now it's something like 2.8. Are you kidding? Yeah, it gets lower and lower. See, this is why exactly why I get, I'm not frustrated, so to speak, but it's like when you create something, this is just from like a creator's perspective, using the internet as your medium mm-hmm. to breach into any sort of whatever, right. whatever your content winds up being. It could be YouTube, Twitch streaming, anything. Mm-hmm. Because there is just so much out there, the chance that you can cut through the signal versus noise from someone scrolling through a social media thing or just happen to click your video with a thumbnail on YouTube mm-hmm. is almost zero. Yeah. And and then even there, even even from there is like if people aren't looking for that thing and they even though they may or may not be interested in said thing, you're still against all odds that they're even going to stick around. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's terrifying in some ways. I think part of this is just because all of this is so very new. Mm-hmm. Um, I think nowadays we're starting to get a little bit better grasp on like what social media and sort of digital spaces are doing to us. Yeah. Uh, and so I think I would guess that in the future people will start to get a little bit more responsible about what they consume. Um, yeah. People are beginning to care and curate more what they look at, uh, yeah. versus, you know, just blindly going on Facebook and that's your entertainment. Now people are like, I only want to follow the people that I want to follow. Yeah. Um, and it's not so much about, uh, quantity anymore or it's starting to go away from it a yeah. little bit. Whereas like the, cl- the clickbait and things like that, where it's just all about, yeah, it's it's stuff like people are now expecting the the places they're invested in or or part of uh, mm-hmm. to give them some sort of value in those spaces. It's no longer just like buy my thing. It's like tell me a story, give me a message, yeah, you know, enrich my life in some way. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And so that's probably what we're coming up on is you know our generation who grew up in this is sort of sort of starting to sort it out and sort it out and become the people who make it. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. And and reconnecting, mm-hmm. it's like rediscovering what was once lost. Yeah, because of the technology. Yeah, is what I kind of liken it to. Mm-hmm. Um, now I kind of want to move it back a little bit and kind of go back and have you at least describe how you entered into the world of multimedia creation, because I think a, a lot of people love to just try. You know, it's like the thing everyone says on like their Instagram accounts or whatever, like photographer or. Mm-hmm videographer and then they make little whatever little things and you sure had that phase but you had you spent a lot more time tinkering and experimenting than I think is given credit to put you in the position that you are in today Mm. because even though you were going to school for this you're and this is just being because I know you (laughs) you're my brother right I've been able to see this trajectory as it's unfolded but I think it says a lot to why you're able to succeed Mm. as you have um, I think it boils down to, uh, when you're studying something, anything, and you really want to excel in it, regardless of if it's design or not, um, you should consider it something that's greater than just school. Yeah. Uh, I, I would argue, and I know like even professors have disagreed with this sentiment, but you should be doing this anyway. I, sh- I shouldn't have to be told. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I shouldn't have to be told to make a design or go out and photograph something. It should be something that you want to do. 
Yeah, like in your free time. Right. If so, um, no one told you that you had to go do this, you should be wanting to do this thing. Yeah, and, and I would argue for a fulfilling sort of life in general, you should yeah. that should be the, the thought the whole time. And if that's not aligning, then you just have to be honest and say, like, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. Um, but especially in places like design where it's so competitive, um, if you're not that person, someone else is. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so, like, um, going to your, your, your thought, like, Yes, it's one thing to be designing and or, or making art, taking photographs, making videos for yourself. And that's totally a valid reason to do it. It doesn't have to be about quality. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to consider who you're making it for and what do they expect the quality to be. And so I can make a ton of crap videos for myself and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. If I want a job in it, I have to look at what those what the competition is like and go, all right, I need to get up to that bar or better. <laughs> uh, because if I'm not, then I'm not going to get hired. And right. That's just how it goes. And so, um, oftentimes, at least, especially when you're younger, uh, because design is such a, it takes time. It's, it's like a, I think it's very rare to be a prodigy where you just get it. Uh, you need, no, to, absolutely you not. need to spend time to figure <laughs> it out. And so, um, it, you really got to put in that time and really spend a lot of energy on figuring it out and making it make sense. Yeah. Um, you know, looking into actual designers and sort of their own philosophies about it, uh, or photographers, whatever, what did they do? Why did they do what they did? Yeah. Um, yeah. Was there any mentors or, you know, photographers or designers that you, that caught your eye early on or anyone not really modeled after, but just use as a blueprint to further your own knowledge base as you were just getting interested in it? Uh, I wouldn't say any people in particular. I would say if you want to get like really, really good at Photoshop, flurn.com is amazing. Uh, he's a Columbia grad where I went to school and uh, they, they're here in Chicago and they've done really high end work. But more importantly, they have just a huge database of free Photoshop knowledge oh, that's um, awesome. to really understand it as a tool uh, far greater than any school can teach you. Yeah. Um, so that's where I learned that. But um, uh, as far as like actual designers, I don't know that there's anyone that I'm like, Oh, that's, here's their path. And I'm going to take that path. It's more just being curious about, you know, who these people are. And, um, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Cause like design, uh, you can have all kinds of walks of life in design where, yeah. um, you know, uh, I'll put it this way. There's a guy named Aaron Draplin who I really like. And a lot of people really like him. He's sort of one of the quote, um, celebrity designers like a founder not a founder but he like a specific style that everyone kind of uh well he's recognizes he, as like he's something. become like a design persona yeah uh and so like there's several well there's many of them through history but uh nowadays it gets a little gray because there's so many um right there's so much collaboration and there's so many designers now in general and, yeah um but in any case uh that dude is a really good like no sh- no shits designer who um is like brutally honest in his work and his communication is like brute, what I'll call like brute force communication where it's like, Oh really? It's, it's definitely a style. Um, but he himself, he's like, he comes from a family where, uh, his dad was a manufacturing guy in Detroit okay. and a really blue collar. And so he's the guy who's really good at speaking for like blue collar sort of industrious people. And I would, I think, you know, to have that idea where, um, there's experts in any particular field apart from design yeah. who help speak for those fields right. is uh, interesting about design is that um, like 
I would argue that you can't really be an amazing communicator for, say, healthcare if you don't care at all about healthcare or, Absolutely. or cars. I mean, like, if you can't be authentic about whatever you're talking about, then you yeah. can't. You shouldn't be doing that, right? I don't know that you shouldn't be, but I think that there's probably somebody who cares a lot more there's and someone is probably that do, better. Yeah, I'm saying there's there's levels to it. Yeah, right? who better <laughs> serves that market or that that type of person? Right. And so, like, for example, uh, I love band posters and like amazing, <laughs> really cool, like artsy band posters. I can't make them though. I have no idea how to wrap really? my brain around it. And so, uh, there's people who are just like mad and can do that, mm-hmm. you know, just totally out of nowhere. And yeah, there's a lot of really style. Like there's a certain thing about band posters that are like crazy stylistic and kind of break all the rules. Of they can I- be. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's, there's sort of niches or something. Right. Like, I, I guess, uh, where my, I fall into a more corporate sensibility where mm-hmm. um, I think it's probably because of my more like logical math oriented side. That surprises uh, me. A lot of that, <laughs> um, a lot of that, you know, it makes it easy for me to make things very clear and organized and, and easy crisp. to easy to follow. Yeah. Um, whereas maybe the more artsy side of designers can really make something that's more artistic and expressive and mm-hmm. interesting like that. Um, that's interesting because, you know, I, I always assumed like, you know, with, with me being an engineer and you do it, you fit following this path as a graphic designer, I was, I was always like, oh yeah, Nick's the creative one. Hmm. I'm this logical, you know, mathematical, whatever. And now that's like, the more I realize it, it's kind of like, oh no, we're both creative. It's just manifest in different ways. And you're actually, you know, as like you just said, you're more analytical than I had assumed on the outset. Yeah. And that's the thing like design. There's a, <laughs> there's a space for everyone. Yeah. You know, like uh, I'm not going to go crazy into the history of communication design and sort of where that stuff falls in. You but can like, find better videos on the internet. For yeah. That. You can find, if you're really <laughs> curious, like you probably already know this, but yeah. um, you know, using stuff like grids to design to, mm-hmm. to me, like answers a lot of questions where like, if you're staring at a blank sheet of paper, and you go like, what do I do? <laughs> like it's, it's, it's like a, if you're a writer and you're about to write a book, but you have nothing written and you're like, where do I start? Yeah. Right. A grid sort of <laughs> gets you a starting point. Um, but there's also just amazing designers who want nothing to do with a grid. Yeah. And it's just like pure expression and that's a valid way to do it too. I mean, it's funny with like you and Nick Bugle, which we should probably get you and him on the podcast and talk design because mm-hmm. you guys come from opposite ends of the spectrum. It seems like, mm-hmm. That that conversation we had not not even probably about a week ago I think it was um, about how your guys' philosophies differed but still merge emerged to the similar conclusions at some point it's mm-hmm. it's really interesting to kind of see the same people when they have you know it's like two engineers or two doctors shooting this shit and yeah. getting you know bouncing ideas off of each other and like oh yeah I think about it this way and I, you think about it that way and you can see valid points in both sides of it which is fun well that's the thing to be it's, a fly on the wall for that <laughs> it's never a good idea to just sort of back yourself into any one corner anyway Absolutely. so like though i don't prefer to sort of go really postmoderny and design without a grid and go go wild um i i've done it and i can do it <laughs> uh it's just not my preferred way to do it you know yeah so here's like this is a question that just popped in my brain but um what was the most challenging design you've had to do so far? Or, or if it's not challenging, what was the most memorable design you've done? Um, I think the one that the design that, um, I did and then suddenly things had clarity and I was like, holy shit, 
I get this now. <laughs> uh, is the first one you'll see if you go on my website for in the design section, which is... Um, it's Nick Wenzel Photography? Just nickwenzel.com. Oh, it's nickwenzel.com. Nicholaswenzel.com or actuallykindacool.com, which is just funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's still, it's still... Is it still buried behind the scenes? Yeah, I still have it. It okay. redirects to my website. But, um, um, if you go to the design section of my website, there's a... It's a rebrand, but it's not live. It's it was more of a concept for a local record store mm-hmm. called Record Wonderland, and um, this it was the de- design that I did that I started to realize like how I work and how I logic design out, and then really what design functions as and does. Uh, Ooh, very. But cool. let me sort of clarify that because that's a bit cryptic. Um, so. As part of that, I went in and I spoke to the owner of the store and I figured out as a business owner, a local business owner, why are you named the way you are? Tell me all about yourself. Tell me your story. Why do you have this company? Uh, tell me about the way that this whole place is set up. You know, he's sort of uh, it's a it's a local record store. So it's like sort of really scrappy. I might describe it as like if somebody ran a record store out of their garage, it's sort of yeah, DIY-ish. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking as like you're describing wooden it. wooden <laughs> boxes that are on like steel sort of frames and they're all just in there and then tons of records, just like flooded with records and then like, you know, band posters and things on the walls and just cool stuff. Sort of just like a, if, if there was a crazy record hobbyist and he had a store, this is what it would look like. And he decided like it just got big enough that like all of a sudden all his friends were buying it. And then well, all of a sudden it's like friends of friends wanted to buy records and stuff yeah, like that. <laughs> I don't, I won't go into like everything about him. No, but, that's bas- fine. but basically it's like, it's a guy who made a business about something he's passionate about. And, uh, it's like decorating your own room. Like you don't, yeah, right. you just do it cause you like it and you don't yeah. really think about what it comes <laughs> off as. Um, but in doing all this, you start to realize like, uh, that the design, that design in general, graphic design, video, whatever, all of this can help to serve that story. Yeah. And so what I realized when I was doing it was that a, a designer is a storyteller, uh, first and foremost, mm-hmm. if you want to be. Um, it's just like a writer too, or it, a journalist specifically. It's like writing. And so um, you take all of these ideas, all of their story, where they come from, sort of who they are, why they did the things they do, and you try to figure out how to show that in the design of them. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that I think is is um, where I started to figure out how I design and how yeah. it can be. Um, do you have the first and second drafts of this stuff on the website still? Just the, fir- uh, just the new, just the new version. version. Yeah. I updated it recently. I thought it'd be really cool. Yeah. I think it might be cool to kind of have the version, you know, zero and version one or 2.0, however you call it. Yeah. Maybe make a little fun page or you can send me some of the pictures and I could throw them in the, the show notes of this episode mm. just for kind of yeah. clarity's sake to kind of just paint the picture of like how you've evolved over time. Cause there's a, what is that? Like a six to eight month gap between first oh, design more, and second. more than that like a year year yeah well um and so part of it was just that uh the first time i did it was in design school and it was part of a, a class sort of project and right. so you have deadlines of course and it's not the only thing i was designing and so uh you know you don't really have the time to polish it too much polish it and then in that year you know you grow a lot that's what i'm that's what i'm just trying to say because it's just show the trajectory that nothing is stagnant and then you can go back yeah. and always make things something better yeah i mean um it's just about making something you're proud of. And so like when I looked at it, I was like, dude, this could be way better. <laughs> now I get it. And so I redid it and I know. made it cooler. 
Uh, and I'm still doing that with the rest of my stuff. Of like, course. There's a number of things that are kind of um, terrible. It honestly reminds me a lot about like what you're just describing, like makes me think about feeding curiosity and how it's evolved over the last year and a half ish mm. now almost. And, uh, you know, just going back to the first design that I just threw together because I was like, I'm going to force this into being because if I wait for it to look exactly like I want it to look, it'll never get made, which is part of creating anything. I think mm -hmm. you, you can't wait till it's the moment is quote unquote, right. Yep. Um, you just kind of have to start doing and understand that even if it's not exactly how you envision it to be right now, you will continue to improve no matter what. Yep. And so, uh, you know, the coming up with the design, which was fun, uh, in general, cause you had told me, or you'd asked me to write in a notebook what it was, the symbol, and the, let's back this up just so we can clarify. Yeah. We're talking about now about the rebrand. Yeah. The, 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 the current updated logo. version of feeding curiosity. Yeah. Do you want you, me to explain it? Yeah, go ahead. It's like, I'm just trying to paint the picture right now of like right. where I got the idea kind of, and then where it got morphed into this higher, more refined version, I guess you'd call it. Mm. Um, well, here's what happened. <laughs> People started asking if I made what you did and I was like, shit. I can't let people think that. And so, <laughs> and so it's like, well, I guess I got to redo it and make it something that if someone assumes that, then at least it'll look good. Um, it's really what happened. Oh, that's so funny. Um, but it was also just having more time too. Uh, well, yeah, cause you're closer to the end of the semester and stuff like that. But yeah. I still think it's great that other people were like, damn, did you make that? Like, All you gotta say is no, he made that. Yeah, I did. But, like still, you know, there's, if, if one person had, had the bravery to ask me that, that means that there's probably 10 people who didn't. And they're just assuming. I thought you just did it out of the goodness of your heart. Well, both. I, mean, <laughs> I also did that, but part of it was self-serving. Um, yeah. I, so in taking that sort of storytelling sentiment, it was to figure out um, from you what curiosity means, because that's such a vague. I mean, it's an umbrella term. Yeah. And I mean, curiosity can mean a whole lot of things to a whole lot of different people. And so, um, and that's part of the point of it. Yeah. And that's fine. But, um, <laughs> but to make it sort of yours and to get some clarity so that it's not just some random abstraction of mm -hmm. something. Uh, that's why I asked you, um, to draw, if you were to say like draw curiosity, yeah. uh, what would it be? And I didn't expect you to make the logo for me. It was more like, um, <laughs> just, ask you that crazy lofty question that I have to answer and yeah. figure out what your take is on it so that I can make it as close to what you think right. uh, as possible. Because I can imagine a million different ways, but I don't know which is the right way for you. Yeah. Um, and what it boiled down to was sort of these, uh, a fluidity of something of thought perhaps mixed with a more rigid, but abstraction yeah. or rigid extraction from what I've always, from what I've always done for me at least. And this is, this is before I even came up with the, the tagline slash philosophy of the website right. that I created through a mindset course, um, along with my own personal philosophy. But basically the way I've always viewed philosophy in my own like thinking and just exploration in the world is about synthesis of new ideas mm. or not even new. It's just taking ideas that already exist in the world. Anything that I read, listen to, or hear from other people and combining them in new and novel ways yep. that may not intuitively make sense on the surface. Right. And so, uh, to illustrate that, and I knew that that was where you were going with it because <laughs> we had talked about it. Right. Too. But, um, 
And so what I, I started with was sort of, uh, you had originally had like a brain. And so it was exploring sort of like that, you know, what is a intellectual brain, stuff? What is a brain? What is like the, the shape of a brain? How can you simplify it? But then I landed on sort of just that wave that you see in the left sort of half of the circle. Mm-hmm. And which is, which is just, uh, uh, maybe just more of like a, a fluid thought. An, an idea that's sort of changing and shifting and moving and doesn't quite stay in the same track. Yep. Um, the center line is supposed to be sort of what this is, which is like the conversation, the synthesis the, of that. the ideas. And then, well, that, that part is the very last part, which is sort of the rigid lines, but they're all sort of in parallel and separate. And so it's this idea that, um, from a fluid organic smooth or, or disjointed maybe thought, you can form all sorts of thoughts, conclusions, and ideas, um, all encapsulated in a circle because it's sort of just, you know, in this space that yeah. you get this. Well, and um, it should be repeated. So if you follow the circle, then you can, right. you're supposed to, f- a feedback loop. Uh, but <laughs> it's meant to be just super abstract and just yeah. something that, um, you know, you can look at and go, all right, I get it, I guess. You yeah. Know, it doesn't have to be explicit, but that's sort of the logic in no, my yeah. head about it. I mean, it's it works too, though, because when I have articulated to people because now that we've redesigned the business cards which you'll be able to see on nick's website as well Mm -hmm. um i had people at work who've asked me what does that mean you know they flip it over and say what does your logo stand for and so then Mm -hmm. i say well it's an abstraction of think question synthesize Mm -hmm. and they're like oh they stop and they pause and they look at me like wow that's actually good i like that you know and so it's like they they read they recognize that we've put the work in to homogenize the messaging that we've decided to describe in as simple, in as simplest way that we can. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, that's part of why I think the magic of this works in some ways, because we're able to give a picture and give in the simplest, you know, three words, what this is, right. You know, or what is the goal? Well, and part of it too, is that, um, is that it, honestly, it's meant to just like feel good. <laughs> and that's part of, I think logos in general is, yeah. That, you want to keep them as sort of simple as possible unless you don't. Yes. But that's design. Well, that depends on who, um, what the medium is or reasoning behind I'm it. I'm not even going to get into that. But, <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's meant to just feel good. So like if you see it, it shouldn't make you angry. It right. should, you know, it should feel good. It, you know, it should be pleasant to look at too. Mm-hmm. And so that's always a tough balance to sort of hit where something can logically make sense or feel like it's right. But then if it doesn't come off, correctly and people don't respond well to it, then that's also a consideration you have to take. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can have something that looks for you great, but if no one else likes it, then you're not helping yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Um, go and I want you to explain like backing up a little bit, kind of how you put yourself in this crazy learning environment. You self-imposed was your Photoshop um, amalgamations. I can only, uh, try to, uh, they would be, I forget like what they're called. Composites. There you go. Composites. I, I knew there was a C word, but I couldn't remember what it was, but basically I want you to explain what that was because I got to run into the bathroom, but for the, oh, for the <laughs> we can pause. Yeah, I know. But for the listeners, you can explain the story. We'll, we'll, we'll pause it. Okay. Then... Fine. Three and now we're good. Yeah. All right. So as I was saying, I want you to describe the composites you were creating. What was that? Like three years ago now? This is like right when you more than that. It was like four or five. five. Yeah. Probably like the entire time you've been in school for the most part or before that. Uh, it was before. Um, but basically you'd bought a camera, a DSLR, and then you started taking photos 
and then you got into Photoshop and started basically stitching these photos together to create fun little composites. And I think one of them is actually still your picture on my phone for the little mm. icon bubble from mm -hmm. Facebook, which I don't know why it hasn't updated ever or is still there. Mm. Um, where you had like your phone in front of your face and you'd taken a smile mm. and then composited that smile over your, your phone to make it look like you had like this jokerish grin right. on there. But you had like a whole bunch of these. I think you're almost doing one a day for like an entire year. Or at least that was the goal. I don't All know right. if you did that. I'll explain it. <laughs> um, so in the year off from school, between high school and starting college, um, everybody had gone to school and I wasn't. And I was just at home and didn't have anything else to do. And so we used to make all those videos. We used to make a video all the time. Like oh, right. Our, we, we did all the YouTube school. stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. we used to make goofy skits and things, my friends and I. Um, and since they were all pretty much gone or busy, uh, and I didn't have anything else to do, I started to do, I picked up my camera and I started to do like a self-portrait every day, which was following somebody else um, that I knew from Facebook who was doing it for some reason. Um, and I just decided to start doing it. And then it started out as just a portrait. And then, and it's interesting. I didn't even know what that meant back then. <laughs> um, and then it was like, well, if I'm going to do this every day, uh, it, I should make them interesting. So it's not just a picture of me. Cause that's real weird. And so, um, that's where I started to learn Photoshop. And most of that learning was done through Flurn where, uh, I would watch videos or whatever and figure out like, Oh, here's how you do this particular thing in Photoshop and then would try it in some form or fashion. Um, but it was also finding a community on Flickr, which was the photo sharing website mm. who did this. Is it still around? Oh yeah. I haven't really heard too much about Flickr in a long time. Um, it's used a lot in like the West coast. Ah, gotcha. Uh, and a lot of, sense. I mean like if you're a photographer, uh, a lot of people use it as sort of a substitute for Instagram where, uh, they prefer that. And it's, it's like a it's portfolio sort of, thing. Well, and it was before Instagram. It was like a photo community, like an honest community. Mm. And so yeah. I don't know if it still is, but it was back then when I did it and it was before me. Um, and so people would do these photo composites, which is basically what maybe the layman would call a Photoshopped picture. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. It's just having a picture that's not really just a picture. It's composited with other things. Think like maybe a a movie poster would be considered like a composite where, yeah. you know, it's multiple photographs combined. Um, and so I started to do that as like an art form thing where you, it was like, let's make, I guess just an artistic, uh, self portrait. Um, and so that's what you're talking about where it's like, uh, I would do all these goofy things where like, you know, impose things on my phone or make it look like I punched myself or, Oh yeah, that was another one. I or, that one. Uh, <laughs> Do you have I, some of these up on your website still? Yeah, yeah. There's okay, still cool. a section in the photos where it's composites and it's uh, just a, a selection of them. But I did it. Uh, the idea was that you do it for a whole year, 365 days. And I did 264 before I gave up <laughs> because I started school and it became too much because, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I was doing good in school. So right. I didn't have the time to like invest in that. But then I went on to other things anyway with like photos. Right. Um, but yeah, it was it was doing all that. And it was really just a way to keep myself busy with the thing that I loved to do, which was mess with my camera, uh, when no one else was around. And so, um, it was about making something when I couldn't do what I was already making before. Right. And that was all that was. Um, but it, it sort of, uh, caused me to do all the design work and eventually sort of professionally do photo and video and right. whatever. 
what it what it feels like to me, and this is someone who's obsessed with process and learning itself as a as a process. You know, the uh, learning how to learn and mm-hmm. and fail effectively, or just constantly challenging yourself to work within whatever rule set you decide to give yourself and explore and give yourselves the tools. Because what I see as an outside observer is that by forcing yourself to do composites, you do two things for yourself. One, you're forcing yourself to understand how to manipulate the camera itself from a technical standpoint to be able to create, capture the images that you're envisioning in your head. Even if you may not understand what the composite is going to be at the outset, and then the second part of that is you're you're then giving yourself this problem where you're like, okay, I've taken this set of photos, and now how do I merge this thing to create something that actually didn't happen in real life but make it believable that it could have? Mm. And that is completely outside the realm of what school as a learning environment does because school gives you a set problem and it says, work inside this framework and then solve that problem and explain it to me. Mm. Whereas you, what you did is it said, I'm going to figure out how to do this. It's not about, you know, the problem that I'm trying to solve here. It's just, I'm going to just make all this stuff together. And all of a sudden, over the 264 that you did, you wind up having a mastery over this these two separate things that you're able to merge together then to create professional looking designs and then headshots and, you know, wedding videos or whatever you've done afterwards because you just have a baseline that's above, you know, your bedrock is is just that much more solidified than the average. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of like uh, tempering steel. It's just like you put something in the oven and you put it through all kinds of... Yeah, it's of, like reps at the gym. Yeah, <laughs> it's all that. It's it's just that. But I think um, in terms of bringing it to sort of the creativity side, it's it's figuring out how to... Uh, be creative in general um, to, to figure out sort of a new and interesting way to do a photo composite every day literally makes you go insane. <laughs> like literally I lost my goddamn mind. Um, and, and like, I think that you have to, in order to really excel at that, like there were points where you can feel like I had gotten a, a message and call from Flickr news, which is uh, they did like, um, or Yahoo News, basically. Yahoo owned Flickr at the time. Mm. And they did okay. like a weekly sort of spotlight on a creator on, on Flickr. And they called me and like interviewed me for my story and what I was doing. Yeah, I didn't end up getting featured on it, but they like had interest in it. And so there were several times. Oh, uh, another separate time was like I, I ended up in some independent magazine uh, where they did a spotlight on me and showed like four full spreads of my photographs. And yeah. uh, it was a small little interview and stuff like that. And so there were times where like you get close to being... Like you start to feel like, oh, holy, holy shit, I get it. You know, like I'm, I'm making something that is uh, interesting and innovative and and sort of competitive. And you're putting more effort in than the average. Right. And so it's really just, um, that's where you sort of, where I started to sort of learn, like a lot of creating anything is just being able to be the one to last through it. Um, You know, there's a reason why only about 20 or so photographs are on my website. It's because the other 220 are awful (laughs) and but that doesn't matter anymore you know like at the time it was learning and there was a yeah I sort of made a community with uh, people that interacted with me and so I still have a few friends like ones in Montreal ones in uh, Idaho (laughs) 
he was a dude who like worked at IBM and what? he just did photos for fun. Right. And then he retired. Now he like does photographs of his garden, which is amazing. Um, but you know, like you start to meet these people and they started to give me honest feedback and in a, in the same way that like a school attempts to do, but doesn't often get to where like, uh, you know, like design school, you're supposed to critique in an yeah. honest and you know, be able to take that criticism. But oftentimes people are just too afraid to do that. Why um, is that? Uh, that's an, because that's a, huge, that's a huge thing because asking for criticism or at least creating an environment where criticism is okay to be given is a huge, huge area that a lot of startup founders and people that ask for criticism, like within teams, mm -hmm. like as a, as like a manager, right? You, you, you ask your team, you know, you create like a survey monkey or something and say, fill in your feedback. You know, these are completely anonymous and ask for open feedback as, as how am I as a, as a manager, as a person on this team? Yeah. It's very hard to get that feedback. So my take on criticism is so right now, just in general criticism and we'll just say failure is not, uh, rewarded. You're not, uh, supposed to fail. I mean, like, think about it in terms of the way that you, people grow up in school. If you have a failing grade, you're failing. Right. And you have to correct like that failure. On, yeah. Um, it's not seen as like you need improvement. It's seen as you've failed. Um, like you're below standard. You are absolutely below standard. Yeah. Like standard is what? They, C. C, I guess. C. I mean, technically, but even that, I would argue people don't think C is standard. People I mean, think yeah. like A is standard. And if you're <laughs> below A, you're failing. Yeah. Um, and so part of it is being able to deprogram yourself from that societal teaching that is failure. Um, the benchmarking process, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. I mean, like, I think people st need to start having conversations about like, uh, it's okay to fail mm -hmm. and you, you'll find it, but I mean, that's I a huge thing that in Silicon Valley is, you know, what was it? I think Facebook's was fail fast and often yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like people are just so uncomfortable with failing. Oh yeah. Um, but in like the school dynamic, it gets even worse because then there's other metrics that start to mess with this. So, um, let's put it this way. If let, let's just go into a design class, right? How am I supposed to criticize your work if I'm also a student in the same class? Yeah. I know like, um, logically you can go, yes, you should because you, everyone has taste and whatever. Yeah. But it's also like, I'm learning too. So like, I don't want to give bad advice or maybe I don't know. Cause I need work too. There's just the sort of this environment where like, uh, no one feels comfortable being able to give feedback. No one's comfortable giving feedback because like no one feels qualified and no one wants to hurt the feelings or like, mm -hmm. um, you know, be, be an enemy of their peers, right? Yeah. Like you don't want to be the ass who's like constantly just <laughs> shitting on everyone's work. Um, but in the end of the day though, that, that sort of feedback, that honest feedback is going to make that person better. And that's the thing. Like, uh, so much of what you learn prior to, uh, sort of maturing is that failure is wrong. It's bad. You're failing. You're done. <laughs> yeah. You suck. You're awful. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever so horrible thing you say. I think it, it, at the root of it, you need to make sure and to say like, Hey, we're all collectively failing all the time. At least you should be. And that's <laughs> totally fine as long as you're making the honest effort to learn and grow from those failures. If you're like, if you're trying to figure out what you're doing wrong and make yeah. it better, that's really like, I think the 
the bravest thing you can do in any, whatever you're pursuing right, is to try fail and then go, Hey, what did I do wrong? What didn't you like? What is wrong mm-hmm. with this? And then try to improve on that. I mean, I can give you a real, real world example of this right now where Joe had listened to a couple of the episodes of the podcast, listened to himself and hates himself for one thing. Right. So that's one thing is he not desensitized to his own voice and thinks he's a pompous asshole. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the other thing is he's like, I don't want to be that guy, but you know, you, you say that, um, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, it's going to kind of happen over an hour, hour and a half conversation. There's going to be verbal tics regardless. But once I'm aware of it, right. Pulling it from the subconscious to the conscious at the very, maybe it's somewhere in the middle right now, because I just kind of got this feedback. Just being able to get that feedback and one, not be able to take that as, oh my God, he hates it or is annoyed right. or, or whatever, because any of the feedback that he is giving me, mm-hmm. I've given myself 10 times over. Right. Or at least if you're being honest with yourself, yep. <laughs> you shouldn't pat yourself on the back basically ever because you're going to get better. And I, I've not, not listened to the first episode of this podcast in a long, long time and I'm scared to do it. Mm. Because out of many reasons, because it's like, how bad does the audio sound? Because they did it in a Yeti. Get closer to your mic. Well, I <laughs> no, I mean, it's just from just a right. general understanding of yeah. getting, just doing this, you know, putting the reps, like I said before. Right. Um, and just getting better at the noise canceling and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's just, a, it's just an interesting thing that even though I've been doing this for a year and a half, which is not a long time mm-hmm. in any way. I still think there's so much room to improve. Right. And even in like the moment to moment when I listen to an episode, I'm like, oh shit, I could have done that better. Yep. I could have asked this question better. I could have not rambled. So many nitpicky things. <laughs> and it's just like, God. And it's so hard because it's such like in the moment thing too, right? Right. right. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think we just in general need to do a better job of, of encouraging people. And mm-hmm. uh this is why, like, when people get really upset about Mr. Rogers, it makes me really angry. Have you heard that stuff before? No, go ahead and explain it, because I'm, I actually, I might, have, I might know it, but just for clarity's sake for everybody involved. So there are people who, um, who accuse Mr. Rogers of sort of, like, uh, maybe sissifying or um, making this generation soft. Thinking that you're everybody. Mr. Rogers is the cause for the coddling of America. There was like a news thing that called him a demon, like for what, what? he did. Like I'm not even kidding. <laughs> um, but it's it's stuff like uh, he's convinced an entire generation that they're all unique, special people. And my thought is this: Well, Mr. Rogers is right. We are unique, and you you have the the potential to be sort of a unique. I'm just going to use it special person right everyone's Everybody, a special snowflake but it's kind of true <laughs> i mean it's true to some degree it's not wrong now the only distinction that i'll make is that um it's not okay to encourage somebody to stay at the same level all the time absolutely it is i think necessary to encourage people to pursue what they want to do all the time despite their failures yes so that's the thing like people don't want to reward failure and that's why it makes it worse. Um, and I feel like we need to do a better job of just saying like, Hey man, we're all failing all the time. Or is it, would it be better to word it as rewarding the attempt? It's like, good job. You actually tried to do it because I think what, what the difference is, 
for people who make it successful in any genre or whatever, right? Specifically, I'm thinking like performance or anything like sure that you require lots of behind the scenes work mm -hmm. with little to no recognition or monetary gain until you reach a pinnacle. And I'm waving my hands around trying right. to timeline this out, but you you because people. It's those people that can persevere through that window of I'm I'm not being noticed, but I know they they know that there's something in whatever right. they're doing, and like comedy is for some reason like one of the big examples I think that once you get to a point, then it's like oh everyone kind of discovers you, and then it's just you know off to the races kind of thing. Well, he, and the same thing goes for like any creative medium, let me, creative in quotes. Too. Let me bring this back and I'll I'll put it in my own context and explain to you why I think that just in general encouragement is the way to go. Um, before I do this, let me just state this. And now I want to see if you agree with me. Somebody telling you that what you're doing is garbage is one of the number one ways to stop someone from doing something for the most part. Yeah. For the most part, for the most part, like if you tell someone, dude, this sucks, I hate it. Stop. Yes. That just drains the, uh, I don't know. What's the word? Like motivation. the motivation, the motivation that drains the motivation out of people in general. Right? And so, uh, let me, let me bring this in, into my context. What I'm doing right now, photo, video design, all that stuff wouldn't have happened if I hadn't done improv. Mm. The only reason I did improv, well, there's two reasons why I did improv. One, Joe did it when he was in, in middle school. Mid at, uh, and I was like, that's high. cool. Cause I saw a show once and I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. But number two, that day in middle school that I auditioned in seventh grade, there was a kid named Lucas who came up to me when I was waiting for the late bus and he said, Hey, the team didn't want you on the team, but I fought for you to be on it. So I'm putting it, <laughs> I got you on the team. And then he quit because he didn't like the other people that, Oh, wow. Yeah. And so like, I don't even know who that kid is anymore. I just know his name is Lucas, but he's the only reason I did improv. Had I not done improv, I wouldn't have done it in high school. I wouldn't have made videos with Joey or theater or so, theater for that matter. Yeah. Cause I, only which did, I just remembered right I now. I only did theater cause I did improv for the first year and then they were like, you should do theater. So I did. Had I not done any of that, Joey wouldn't have asked me to make a video with him cause I wouldn't be hanging out with him. And then I would have never picked up a camera in general. Yeah. And, and shout so out, that's Joey Spangler who yes. has been on the show. Yes. <laughs> and so, uh, there's just sort of this, um, toppling of encouragement, despite the fact that I probably wasn't good at it. Right. Like there was clearly, people going, this guy can't do this. And it took one person to go, yes, he can give him a shot. Yeah. And that just sort of set off the ripple of doing that. Right. Yeah. And so even if someone sucks at it, whatever that it is, if you just encourage them to do that, they might, they might pursue it and do it to proficiency eventually yeah. at their own speed. I mean, I could take this back to my own worldview and how college was such a catalyst for my own confidence in attempting to do anything I was interested in. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, we'll probably get into this in the second episode, but a little bit more, but growing up for me, I was way shy and way less confident with who I was in, in, in at least being vocal about, yeah. So what I care about all these things that are Surprisingly now, like the coolest thing in the entire world, AKA Marvel right. is like the biggest movie franchise in all of history. And yet I was a guy who loved Spider-Man since before I could remember. Um, but I, I just, I remember specifically the night I always talk about mentors in this way too. Cause it's like, there's a certain point where people see something in you, maybe that 
that you can't see yourself right. for whatever reason. There's a mental barrier or something. And then they, they see something and they say, you can do like, you could be me in right. to some degree. Right. And then just by them kind of guiding you, they leave a breadcrumb trails. That's my favorite word mm. as a learner. Because because that's the best way to learn, I think, is is not someone handing you the road, but giving you the breadcrumbs, or at least giving you the foundation that creates the breadcrumbs for you to follow at your own leisure to take it to where it goes. Because you can't follow their footsteps, right. so to speak, because you're creating your own. Right. You're just happen to be going along a parallel path, and you have to figure it out where that goes. Right. And that's what the Harper College did for me, because I had professors that were just leaving breadcrumb trails for me to understand the world and how all of this stuff fit together. And I was like, Oh my God, this is blowing my head off. And it was exciting. Right. And I was in it and I was just, you know, how do I learn more? Right. <laughs> I didn't leave class and was tired and bored. I was like, okay, where's the next step? Right. And I'm like, that's every class. Yeah. <laughs> and from there, I, I can even catalyze, you know, why I even chose to do this is because of those things, because I'm learning so much about so many different areas and I'm like, this needs, this is just feeding into all of it. And how do I find an outlet for myself to be, to almost download it in some way? Right. Because it's just there in my head, but I'm just like, there's, it felt like someone else needs to hear this too, because it feels important. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what it boils down to, I think is that successful people are encouraged to try. Yeah. That's it. That's all it is, is that successful people are encouraged to try. And when you're that guy who's like shooting people down, you're just doing a general disservice. Yeah. And so it's not about like, oh, this guy sucks, but I'm going to try to get him to do it anyway. It's encouraging someone to pursue something they're interested in. And if it just so happens that they weren't really interested, they'll probably fail enough and realize they're not into it. Yeah. And that's fine too. It's about finding like what you think is sort of your own um, pursuit. What, what makes you happy? Yeah. What makes your life fulfilling? So here's my question to you. And this has kind of happened to me, but it seems like certain at certain points, certain things in your life, when you, when you pursue a certain area of proficiency, say, so to speak, right. you can, it's like you, you naturally find a point where you're like, I think I've learned enough mm -hmm. is kind of what it feels like to me. But there's certain things where you've always want to go a little bit deeper if that makes sense. Do you have some, is it, am I talking uh, at a similar level or can you understand where I'm coming from with this? Rephrase that one more time. Give me another. <sighs> so for me, it's like logically speaking, like if I'm taking this from an engineering standpoint, right? If I wanted to take electronical electron, electrical engineering to a further level, I would have to go into some sort of like particle physics or right. designing circuits type level. Sure. I'm not intuitively interested in how that stuff works. Mm. I'm different. I'm interested in technology at a different level at this point. I'm right. interested in technology as it, as it applies to humanity right. on how does technology affect humanity or okay. psycholo psychology of humanity, right. stuff like that. So it's just kind of like, where do you want to go? Because it seems like a lot of people just kind of go in this natural progression that once you pick one thing, you just have to keep drilling further and further down right. into this, you know, the intuitive pathway of, you know, further deepening the Canyon, you know, it's like wide or deep. Yep is like kind of the way I would just envision right. a, okay. your a knowledge base. Yep. So where do you fall on that? Got it. Um, 
Well, part of it is that I've never really, using your terms, gone deep on anything. Is <laughs> like I do photo, video, and design, like all three. Um, right. And that's not often the case for a lot of designers, or at least you know they're totally not in it. Um, but I think, in a sense, I share the sentiment where um, I'm more interested in, in people than I am design. Me too. Uh, <laughs> I, I, and this thing, like I, it's not that I don't like design, but it's like I'm interested in how design affects people. Yeah. And in a way, it's sort of. Uh, looking at design through a historical sense, like I always connect it in this way. Like, uh, what I design for somebody is going to be something that that their grandchildren will look at and go, this was grandfather's what business thing, whatever. Um, and so I'm more interested in sort of the storytelling, the human side of all that stuff. Um, and the way that it changes people's trajectory in general. But I also have that passion for those underdog people that I'm describing where it's like, uh, the people who were just encouraged despite their flaws to pursue something that they're interested in, which is why like down the road, eventually I'd like to teach sort of college level courses and specifically at something like a community college or a more affordable institution where, uh, accessibility is the priority. Um, because I'm all about sort of finding those people who have the odds stacked against them yeah. and pulling them up. Uh, you could, I think it, any amazing school, university, design school, whatever you want to take it, is going to find excellent professors right. They're and be able to pay for top that. Top candidates, people. Right. But I think um, these, these more sort of community-centered or low-cost places are where they need the most help. Mm-hmm. And so I'd rather be a part of that where I'm helping the kid who grew up like us. Yeah. Who, uh, you know, did this on accident, but <laughs> realized they loved it <laughs> and giving them the opportunity to succeed as much as these students who were born into privilege and yeah. could afford to go to a place that would teach them well. Um, yeah. I'm about elevating those people. Absolutely. And, that's what I think is more important. I mean, giving them access to information is really, that's all required to give people a, a an option. Cause it's like see, finding a door that you didn't know was there. Yeah. Well, you know? it's about, um, it's about helping people and actually caring about that, putting mm-hmm. that first. Uh, even like at my university, they're so wrapped up in the politics of the university, the paychecks, yeah. the whatever about it. Right. That sort of the students and the student work and their uh, success feels like it's secondary. I agree. And I'd rather be a part of a place where helping and changing people's lives is primary mm-hmm. to whatever else is about it. Like, yeah, I can imagine myself putting in far more than 40 hours a week if it meant helping these helping kids, helping <laughs> students like be fucking awesome at design. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'd rather do that. Like there's, there's small things like at our, at our community college, Harper, um, they don't have a photography club and it's because the two full-time faculty don't have the time for it. They and, work and the photo too. faculty. Yeah. They, well, I mean, they're, they're just there, but, and the photo faculty, he's an older guy who like, it's not, he doesn't, he can't, you yeah. know what I mean? Like he's, 
past that. It's out of, yeah, it's out of his wheelhouse. Um, but I can imagine, like, if you had an amazing photo club there, you could make at least, like, five students a year amazing photographers who are getting far more clarity than any class will teach you because yeah. it's about making people excited having fun <laughs> seriously like yeah. being excited about what they're doing and so no i'm laughing because i was that person when i was doing the engineering courses like i right. was that guy who is you know the teacher would say something about basic electronics and i was you know my eyes would go big and i'm like oh. right this is why everything works the way it does. And it takes one person <laughs> to encourage that out of people, right? Like if, yeah. if, if your professor is, ex, is super excited about this. Oh yeah. It's contagious. Absolutely. And so, and if it's not, then it's maybe not the right program for you, but at least you figure that out. And so I think like in those places, like community colleges and things, there's so much room for improvement to compete on a national scale. Yes. That there's no reason they shouldn't be apart from just somebody being there who's passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And that I think is the most rewarding thing I can think of is, is <laughs> doing that. Like that's, I think that's really cool. Absolutely. I mean, I, I could, I 110 and 50% agree. I mean, right. I, I mean, I may not even be one of those professors not too long from now, possibly. Right. And it's not even the fact that it's like, that I could do that because I don't have a freaking clue, but it's more of like I would want to do that just because of the experience that I had as a student. And that if I can impart 1% of what the enthusiasm that I felt from that professor specifically, right? Then I would, you know, succeed in passing along the, the legacy of whatever right. it was that I learned. And that's part of a lot of it for me now at this point is like this legacy of learning and enthusiasm and being able to, in a lot of ways, give a window into engineering to students. Even though this podcast is giving a window into people about passions that people, other people care about and Can we say, back up for one second. I hate the word passion, but go on. I hate the word passion too. Right, cool. Because I think it's overused, but it's the only word people will. It's disposable. Yeah. It's such a disposable It's word. completely overused and people don't know what it means like, anymore. I mean, I have a passion for burritos. Right. Me too. I love Chipotle. <laughs> I want a burrito a, now. It's such an awful <laughs> word. It's an um, awful word. What, what the reason I, the, what I would say more is do something. Do a whole bunch of different things. It's analogous to throwing lots of shit at a wall and seeing which one sticks. That is the my best way of explaining what passion is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know I know that we're going to sort of do this in the, maybe the second part. Yeah. But that's what I saw in a community college model mm -hmm. is the fact that, and this is a literal thing, it costs 10 times less than my university does. Yeah. And I had so much more access to everything. <laughs> my professors my uh, resources. Mm -hmm. I was given more resources there than I was ever at my, my university. Yeah. Um, and that's part of that for me is commuting time too. I mean, that's a whole thing is, is your time, right? Like if you spend hours getting to a place, you're far less likely to stick around, stick around because you're like, man, I got to spend hours getting back and yeah. you're exhausted by the time you get back. Mm -hmm. And so like part of that, it, it, it's a huge part of it. Yeah. But, um, having access to resources that inspire you. And that's a better word, inspire. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, inspiration, I guess, is the best word. Yeah, I mean, th- it's really hard to put into words that feeling of doing something that feels fulfilling. Yeah. And it's not passion. And it's not easy either. Because it may sound like passion equals easy to some people, but it's really not. Like, I've done projects where it's mostly hours of me being frustrated at it and why fucking something doesn't work. Right. And then it finally works. And I'm like, yes, it works. Yeah. It fucking works. And I fucking did it. Yep. And then it's over. Because now you got to solve another problem. Right. <laughs> but it's still like those mini- miniature moments of fuck yes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, part of all of that sort of blends into, I think, you know, this idea of being okay with failure, being encouraged oh, yeah. to try despite maybe you're not ready to. Uh, yeah. Somebody telling you like, "Hey, it's okay to fail, and you're not afraid about like losing your job over it, yeah. or you know, affording rent." I think that's of why it. the working out is so important in in many ways. Sure. Well, well I mean, you, I don't. You don't do that, but <laughs> I walk to work. <laughs> for for me, it's it's the it's the it's a microcosm of experiencing failure every day. Yeah. Because you're you're going to the gym to sh- push yourself at least physically, it's also mental too, to right. some degree, because you have to make the, the, the conscious decision that you're going to try and even attempt it. Mm-hmm. And if you can't attempt it, or if you don't do it, then you failed, right? So it's kind of like inoculating yourself to failure. Yeah. And, and some, actually there's a really good uh, a, a thing. If, you're, if you really want to start getting used to failure, at least the ino- this inoculation idea, mm-hmm. um, one of the podcasters, Tim Ferriss, he, he would give in one of his books, he would say, go to a coffee shop and in line, when you get your coffee or whatever, like Starbucks, ask for a discount, you know, mm-hmm. just 10%, whatever. Right. And just, and just attempt to ask right. for that. You know, it doesn't matter if they give it to you or not, but the fact that you tried to do that will help you get used to failure. Or there's another one where if you just lay down in the middle of a crowded place. Those are both psychotic, but all right, sure. If you lay down in a crowded place and just, for like five seconds and then stand back up because you get used to being like standing out in a public scenario. This can help you with public speaking as well. Yeah. Um, random aside, but just kind of ways to learn about feeling failure or feeling like attention is on you. Right. I think the saddest part is that this isn't part of someone's regular learning anyway. (laughs) Right. Like why do we need to do psychotic tendencies to, to get used to failure? We should, we should be, we should be encouraging people to try things that they want to try anyway. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like that's, I think the biggest, I mean, that's part of what this podcast has been, has been putting myself in positions to, to ask for people's opinions and attentions and stories. Right. So I get used to it because I'm not normally predisposed to do this. And it's just this little microcosm of attempt that happens to be shared with a broader audience. Right. It's very weird and surreal in many ways because it's mm. at the same point is like we're able to with the power of the internet and this is we're we're able to be anyone in the world is able to create something and distribute it globally right. at this point. That's insanity. It's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, 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 I don't have much of an interest in that personally but it's just a scale it's just a scale thing for me it's just so crazy that you know you could be a little farm boy in you know 
a town of 500 people and have internet and right. start creating something. And all of a sudden people from China can, or whatever can right. find it. It's just, yeah. I mean, the internet's cool. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> that's, just that's, fucking cool. That's, I mean, that's what you're saying. <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just but, the, the odds and this wondrous world that we live in and all this right. crazy happens chance. Yeah. I mean, I'm more, <laughs> I think I'm more interested in a, in a much more narrow examination of that idea. Mm-hmm. Not so much this grand picture, this zoomed out sort of idea of what is connectivity and connectedness at a cl- across the globe. But uh, look at that, but in a personal sense, Mm -hmm. like um, Aaron Nace, the founder of Mm Flurn.com, a Columbia grad, is somebody who made a profound difference in my life through the internet. Um, But, you know, sort of that relationship and negotiating that and figuring out what that means. And really what I've sort of distilled it to is like that person through no reason other than their own sort of vices on deciding they want to do this mm-hmm. has changed many, many lives apart from my own. Yeah. Has uh, enriched people's lives, given people careers based on their teaching, things like that, and made a difference in general. Yeah. Um, and the idea that one person, just by, by having an interest in people and making people better, can make a difference just by doing just by doing something. Yeah. And so that I think is, is what's more interesting to me is that um, maybe sometimes you don't need an incentive necessarily to do something good for someone. You can just do that and it changes people. <laughs> Cause like so many people in my, I, I mean, I, I don't want to go through the list, but I'm, I'm sure there's like countless people who've done something out of their own accord to make my life better. Right. And so I, I argue that why don't, why doesn't everyone just do that? Why don't we all just kind of look after each other like that? Yeah. And that's why like all these, I mean, there's lots of selfish attitudes nowadays about, mm-hmm. um, but this doesn't help me or, uh, yeah. you know, that sort why of Why would idea. I waste my time? Yeah. That's, that's my time that you're or the, wasting. Don't waste my time. I love that line. Yeah. Don't waste my time. That's so stupid. Um, <laughs> I, I think it. There's nothing more rewarding than using your time here to do something that's for someone else for somebody to, to make someone else better because it's just a giant ripple effect. Yeah. Like if you're an ass to somebody that doesn't help anybody. It's so and in fact, it actually is just a detriment in general is like if you and going back to even the same thing of like shooting people down, like yeah. all that's going to do is destroy the chance of something happening. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're better off just generally being a good, kind and caring person to everybody. Yeah. Despite, you know, where they come from, what they're up to now. You're describing empathy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Be empathetic yeah. to people. And it's far more rewarding that's what in this, general. That's what this is all about. <laughs> so the, I've, I think about this as, as levels. Right. Um, at least the conversations that we're recording, I'm getting really meta here. Right. Um, but for me, it's about, the conversation we're having right now, right? Between me and you. Right. No one else is here. Yep. But then when I listen to it again as an editing thing, because I get really excited about these conversations, I'm like, oh my God, there's so much here. Right. Because a lot of times you have these awesome conversations with people you care about and close to, mm-hmm. but no one ever gets to hear the light of day. Right. And the microcosm of this is that I get to do these conversations and have a whole bunch of fulfillment because it means so much to me, right? Because people have asked me before, it's like, well, you might have to realize that you might never make any money, like net positive. And that's fucking fine. Because the point is, it was never, this was never designed to make money, ever, not even close. It's an exploration because I think conversation 
for conversation's sake right. is valuable. Mm-hmm. And on top of that is the 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 nuance and all of this stuff that counteracts where the global wor- world is going to, as you mentioned, the 2.8 seconds of attention span right. kind of thing. Yeah. I think doing that and then b- before that is podcast for me, I learned so much. And so the, the least I could do is try to follow in those people's footsteps and try to aggregate what isn't meaningful to me because I think more people could gain from that same knowledge base and set. Yeah. And so if I can start underlining and, you know, it's like highlighting and underlining in audio basically for me right. and it's, you know, or the people in my life that I think are worth hearing their stories and their attitudes and all that kind of stuff. Right. Because we can all gain something from anybody. Yeah. And so it's just like this crazy multi-tiered layer of meaning for me. Okay. <laughs> Let me tie this all just so that it's sort of, there's some unity here. Yeah. Let me tie this all to design. Yes. Right. Why is design useful apart from the fact that literally everything in the world is designed? <laughs> <laughs> literally everything. Uh, to, to, I love to, your cynicism in that statement. No, that's true. I know. I, mean, like, everything I know. Everything is it's designed. It's hilarious. I'm looking at like the light switch and some, some asshat behind a CAD software probably was like, Oh, you're right. 110%. Light switch look all right. And they had to figure out what the distance is between every single one of these yeah, things. Yeah, I mean, like, literally everything is designed. Oh, yeah. So let's just get that out of the way. I have a lot of respect for designing any sort of product. Anything, period. Like, yeah, anything in the <laughs> world that is designed, I have a lot of respect for it now because there's There's a storied history. Product. There's a storied history of architecture, which explains why everyone lives in a house that they do. <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> everything that you have is printed. Let's just get that out of the way. Apart from all that, <laughs> apart from the usefulness of design, <laughs> the reason why design matters is because it's about connecting with people. The whole thing about design in general is that you're making a connection with somebody. Mm-hmm. We've gone through weird sort of places in history where design is used for strange or maybe uh, uh, nefarious ways or whatever. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about making an honest connection with somebody mm-hmm. and enhancing sort of the experience somebody has with whatever it is that you're communicating. Absolutely. And so that's why design is important is at the, at the very like zoomed out most, uh, the, the largest angle, um, design is about enriching lives. It's mm-hmm. about making people feel better, understand better, uh, communicate better, clearly, whatever. Yeah. And that's what it's about. And it's about making lives better is what it is. I think that is a perfect sentence to end this part one on. And uh, this did not disappoint in any way, Nick. (laughs) And so part two, everyone, will be taking place post-graduation in a week from now. I do it Sunday after we get back from your graduation because I'm graduating Saturday. He's graduating on Sunday. So he still beats me by a day. Bitch. Even though it was it was close. <laughs> it was close. I, I'm still a little salty because I'm 26 and you're 24. So okay. you you still technically beat me. In no, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's about the absolute time, not the <laughs> relative time. <laughs> so I almost did it. He almost did it. We'll catch you on the flip side, everybody. But. This was the first actual episode with Nick Wenzel. Bruh.
I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.